Well, in the Psalms, as you read through the Psalms, there are lots of themes, uh, but very often we're told that God is a refuge. He's a safe place to run to in times of danger. God is a fortress. He's a castle. Uh, Now, I've got a famous picture here of a refuge, but it isn't your traditional castle. It might not be what you first think of when you think of a fortress, but it sums up this psalm really well. It was taken in 1989 off the coast of France. It captures the awesome power of the waves as they come crashing against this lighthouse. But the most amazing thing about this picture isn't the wave. It's the man standing at the door. I don't know if you've seen him. You've got to squint in a little bit. His name is Theodore Malgorn. All through the night, he'd been inside the lighthouse while the furious waves crashed around him. But the lighthouse stood firm and is even still standing today. His refuge kept him safe until the storm was over. And don't worry, he did get back inside the lighthouse before that wave swept around and took him out. This psalm tells us that God is a refuge. In fact, it says it three times throughout the psalm, at the beginning, middle and end. It's kind of like a chorus. God is our refuge and strength. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We get a strong picture of the danger and thrashing that's happening outside the refuge, but we're reminded that inside we're safe. Outside there's violence. Inside there's peace. And so the writers of this psalm, the sons of Korah, who were gatekeepers at the temple in Jerusalem, they sing in verse 2, We will not fear. Is that your experience of the last week? No fear? No fear about your family? No fear about money? No fear about your job? No fear about your health? No fear about America or China? No fear about your future? Wouldn't it be wonderful if after reflecting on this psalm today, we could join in with the sons of Korah and sing with our whole heart the words of verse 1. God is our strength and refuge and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Let's see what we can discover as we go through it. And it's worth starting uh, by examining our fears. What are we afraid of? Why are we afraid? What is it that's so terrifying And to help us think through that, the sons of Korah take us outside the safe refuge to a terrifying earth. They paint a violent picture of a world in turmoil, a fearful picture, a picture of an earth ferociously returning to the chaos of the world before God gave it order. Have a look at verse 2 with me. If you've got it open there in front of you, verse 2, Therefore we will not fear... Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Can you picture the chaos of a mountain falling into the heart of the sea? The roar of the waters, the thrashing of the waves? 
Mountains are such wonderfully reliable things. I mean, you see them there, you go away for a couple of thousand years and you come back and they're still there. The whole world has changed around them, but the mountain has stood firm. So imagine the violence of a scene where even the mountains are thrown into the sea. And the sons of Korah are saying to us, even if that happens, even if the earth beneath our feet crashes into the ocean, we will not fear. Sometimes the earth feels like it's crashing beneath our feet, doesn't it? Or we feel like we're on the edge of that happening. Or we don't know what will happen if we make one choice over another and we become afraid. We start asking, what if? What if I can't get another job? What if I can't pay the bills? What if my health doesn't get better? What if those people just don't notice me? What if I can't send my kids to that school? What if these arguments with this person just keep happening? What if I can't get the marks that I thought I was going to get? What if I can't do what I thought I was going to do with the rest of my life? What if this pain doesn't go away? What if 2021 is just as bad or worse than 2020? What if... Sometimes we're afraid because we don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes we're afraid because we're pretty sure what's going to happen and it's not pretty. Just like the disciples in the boat with Jesus during the storm. They knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to die. They were experienced fishermen. They had been out on the water before. They knew their situation was hopeless. They were utterly terrified. But only because... It hadn't really twigged for them who was lying there in the boat. Their picture of Jesus was too small. Jesus stood up and he asked them, why are you still afraid? And he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And everything stopped and they were safe. If only they'd known who was there with them. Do you know who's with you? The Lord Almighty. When we hold on to our fears, we're saying, God, I'm not sure he's big enough for this problem. God can't help me. In our day-to-day life, our picture of God can be tiny. And the sons of Korah have a bigger picture than that. They sing, even if the earth beneath our feet crashes into the ocean, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge. With him, we're safe, even when everything else is destroyed. And to help us get a picture of that, uh, get a picture of God, they take us on a journey. They move us from the violence of a collapsing earth to the peacefulness of the city of God, the safe city, the city of refuge. Here there's no thrashing ocean. Instead, verse 4 tells us there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. 
you can almost taste the cool, refreshing water. Listen to the gently bubbling brooks. We've come inside the walls of a safe place, a peaceful place. It doesn't matter what's going on outside the walls because this city can't be shaken. And what makes this city so powerfully peaceful is that it's God's city. God lives here. Nothing can shake God, and so nothing can shake God's city. Have a look at verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. The city of God in the Old Testament was Jerusalem, the capital of God's people, where God's anointed king sat on his throne, where God's temple stood. And you can almost imagine the sons of Korah singing this song, And they're welcoming in weary Israelites who have travelled from far away, saying, come, come, come in, rest, have peace. It's a beautiful, peaceful image. And yet, it's a kind of ironic image. Because Jerusalem doesn't have a river. It hardly has any water. In fact, as a fortress, its lack of a reliable water source was its biggest weakness. So it's kind of funny that these guys are singing, there's a river that makes glad the city of God. But of course this is poetry. It's a beautiful picture of gladness that comes from knowing God. It isn't the city walls that make the city strong. It isn't the water supply that makes it strong. It's God. And people can come to God and drink from what David calls in another psalm, the river of God's delights. In the face of a world crashing down around you, don't you want to drink from the river of God's delights? Well, ultimately, in the Old Testament, the Israelites didn't. They trusted in the city of God, not in God. They took refuge in their walls not in their Lord. We can do that same thing today, can't we? We can say, look at our great church heritage. Look at this fantastic new building our church is going to build. Look at our brand spanking new shiny ministers that we're getting. How awesome is that? We can have all those things and not trust in God. The Israelites abandoned God as their refuge and they trusted in their walls. And so the city fell to the crashing world around it. But the river of God's delights is still available to make people glad, to give people peace. It's available to everyone who takes refuge in Jesus. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, He didn't call people to take refuge in the city, but he called people to himself. He stood up in Jerusalem and he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Another time Jesus was sitting by a well and he spoke to a woman who'd come to draw water from the well. And he said, Everyone who drinks from this water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If we take refuge in Jesus, if we drink from the cool waters of eternal life that only he can give, there will be nothing in this world that we'll need to fear. In Jesus, we are safe for all eternity. Now, as the sons of Korah are singing this song, they're thinking of something particular. They have something in mind that we might be afraid of. There are lots of fears in the world, but there's something here they're thinking of that might cause us to fear or worry. And it's that we live in a world that doesn't take refuge in God. The world's picture of God is tiny. They see him as either not there or too small to do anything useful or as a tool to be used. And if you try and show them that God's bigger than that, they can get angry, like really, really mad. Most of the time they don't even think about him. But if you say, well, my God actually owns the world and he's not really happy with what we're doing with it, they can get really mad. They want to shut you down, close off your voice. They want to reinforce their own idea that God is really little because then they can do whatever they want. You get a really clear picture of it in the Old Testament when the Assyrians attack Jerusalem. I don't know if you remember that story. Uh, It's a great one to read. To the Assyrian Empire, Jerusalem was just a blip on a map, a tiny outpost in their kingdom that covered almost the entire Middle East. They'd destroyed Israel. They'd taken virtually every town in Judah. And this was an empire that took great pleasure in causing pain to people. They really loved it. And they destroyed everything in their path. And their massive army finally arrives at the gates of Jerusalem, having wiped out everything else. They're at the city of God. For the people in that city... It must have felt like the mountains around them have crashed into the sea and the oceans flooded right up to the gates of their refuge and they're about to get swamped. It would have been terrifying. And the Assyrian commander calls out to the defenders on the wall. You've got to listen. He's saying something very particular about their God. Listen to him. He says this, he says, do not listen to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the few kings who actually trusted God and he was king at this time. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Savavim, Hena and Ivor? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. See what he's saying? Who is your little God? He is nothing compared to my power. And that's kind of what the world says to us today, doesn't it? Christians, why are you even talking right now? 
You have nothing to say to us. You and your God are nothing, insignificant. We're in charge here. You be quiet or else. And because we're also tempted to feel like maybe our God is little, we can become afraid and quiet and not want to stand out in case the powerful people among us get angry. Well, King Hezekiah, who knew his army and his city walls stood no chance against the Assyrians, prayed to God. And he basically says, God, they look big, but they're really little. You, God, are really big. Please help us. And 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died overnight, and the city of God was saved. Now look at what Psalm 46 says about the nations who rage against God. The sons of Korah take us back outside the city walls, out of the quiet, peaceful place of refuge to the battleground between God and the world. And what you find here is that the battle is over. The tiny nations of the world haven't been able to stand against the power of a mighty God. God's victory over them is total. Have a look at verse 6. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God's victory is total. No one will fight against him after this. No one can fight against this victorious God. And we know about that victory. We've actually seen it in history in the resurrection of Jesus. The world did everything it could to stop Jesus being God's appointed king, even to the point of killing him. I mean, they threw everything at him. And once he was dead, they've used up everything in the arsenal. And then God just raised him to life. God had the victory. What else can the world possibly do? Nothing. And a day is coming when the resurrected Jesus will come back to judge the world. When the mountains will crash into the sea, the earth will melt. Everything the world thinks is important, everything that they think makes them strong, will be made nothing. And everyone will see that God is really, really big. Jesus is really, really big. So what does that mean for us today? Well, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, can I invite you to drink from the river of God's delights? There is no greater security, no greater joy, no greater freedom 
than taking refuge in God through Jesus Christ. If there's anything 2020 should teach you, is that this world is really flimsy. Everything you take refuge in here can be taken away in a second and it will be taken away. God won't be mocked forever. One day he'll say enough is enough and his word at, at sorry and at his word the earth will melt. But he offers us a refuge, a safe place, not a dry stuffy place a place of delight and rest and freedom, or really a person of delight, because Jesus is that safe place. This world can never satisfy like him. Don't treat God as small. Ask him to forgive you and accept you as his and take you into his eternal refuge. Taste the never-ending satisfaction of having God as your God. Your refuge. If you are a believer in Jesus already, what do you do with all those restless fears and worries and doubts? What do you do if the world feels like the mountains are crashing into the heart of the sea? What do you do when the world feels big and God feels tiny? And the bagpipes are playing because it's the end of the world. No. Well, God tells us in this psalm, he he gives us the answer. He says, calm down. Stop panicking. Be still and remember what you know. Has God really stopped being God? Is God really going to let himself be seen as small? Has God given up on his grand universal plans? Not at all. Have a look at what God says in verse 10. Verse 10, God speaks to us directly and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and remember what you know. When we're afraid or worried, our brains fly to the problems. They fly to all the difficulties. And we can run around like headless chooks slamming into walls, thinking that the world is coming to an end. Be still. Calm your mind. Remind yourself of who your strength and refuge is. Are you a believer in Jesus? Have you put your life into his hands? Well then, say to yourself, God is my strength and refuge, my ever-present help in trouble. Not my sometimes help in trouble, not my kind of watching from afar help in trouble, not my ever-present criticizer in trouble, my ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Do whatever it takes to remind yourself of that truth. Put it on a poster in your bathroom. Put it in the bookmark. Put it on bookmarks. Listen to songs that remind you of it. Read the Bible over and over and over again. You're going to see it on every page. Do whatever it takes to keep your picture of God enormous. Because every problem, 
seems small next to him. And you know what that'll help you to do? It'll help you to pray. Remember Hezekiah? The world's largest army is at his gate. They've destroyed everyone they've fought against. They're actively trying to get his people to turn on him and open the gates. And Hezekiah goes into the temple of God and says, Oh God, you are enormous. And this Assyrian king is tiny. Show the world how great you are. The problem looked big, but he took refuge in God. So he didn't fear. He prayed. Be still. Remember God and pray. When you reflect on this psalm with its beautiful imagery, as it talks about a river whose streams make glad the city of God, remember that this actually isn't just a pretty picture. A day is coming when the world will actually melt and the mountains will actually crash into the heart of the sea. But then God will bring down a brand new city for everyone who took refuge in Jesus, a physical city, a place to live. In that city there will be no more tears, no more death or crying or pain. The Apostle John was given a vision of that city, which he describes in Revelation. And as he walks into the city, you'll never guess what he sees. He sees a river. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is where we're going. This is our future. Nothing can stop it because God's making it happen. God is our strength and refuge our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth.